This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. This podcast is part of the Great Shutdown podcast series. And we're going to talk about something that is fascinating and comes up almost every day with other people that I speak to. It's called The New World of Work. With me is Sahil Martini, strategist at the Investment Institute at 91, and also Mark Abrams, who's the head of multi-asset quantitative analysis. Gentlemen, I won't go through the anecdotal evidence that I've got with lots of other interviewees that I've had over the past few weeks, but what I'm doing is building up a very, very interesting picture, and it was summed up quite neatly by the CEO of a JSE-listed company today, and I said, what do you think about the future of office life? He says, it's long gone. So, Hill, maybe you could just uh, kick us off with a reaction to what I've just said. Thanks, Lindsay. I think major crises always have major consequences, and they're usually unforeseen. So what you see at the moment is a lot of people working from home. But what is that likely to lead to down the line? I think initially we started where everyone else started, that COVID-19 was going to be accelerating the shift in working patterns and commuting patterns for good. And, you know, it might undermine commercial real estate and potentially broaden our wealth creation away from just the cities. And that was sort of where I started. But I think the more we looked at it, me and uh, my colleague Mark Abrams, the more we realized it was actually part of the broader globalization of services. The physical office as a concept is being eroded by a number of things, which we'll get onto, but things like online freelancing platforms, machine translation services, and improvements in communications. The technology was there, but it needed a catalyst to advance. COVID-19 was the catalyst. Yes, it really was. It's an ill wind that blows nobody good, is is what they say. Uh, Mark, uh, the first uh, sentence in the piece that I've been sent by 91 is as follows. The concept of an office as a place requiring the physical presence of labour has been slowly eroded by the globalisation of services. Three factors have been driving this little-noticed phenomenon. Well, it's becoming more noticed, and uh, Sahil has already mentioned online freelancing platforms uh, having come of age, making it cost-efficient to pair labour labour requirements and labour supply at reasonable cost. The second one I want you to explain because I don't quite understand this one. Machine translation services are now readily available, broadening the accessible talent pool. Is that Does that mean that you can outsource things to other people in short? Yes. So one of the things that Hill and I were thinking about is that part of this transition is limited by the ability to find people who share a common linguistic framework. It's, it's very difficult to consume a service unless the person providing it speaks at least transactionally in a way um, you understand. What's happened recently, I think the story we, we bring in the piece about Google using the UN body of transcripts translating to six languages to train um, machine learning translation software, all of a sudden you get a step change in ability for non-native English speakers to service an English-speaking public, um, for example, in, in the Anglophone context. And that fundamentally changes your ability to to utilize these online work platforms to transact with people who, who might not necessarily have the same mother tongue as you do. Obviously, that will translate not necessarily just in English, but as an example. 
The third factor that you highlight, both of you, communications infrastructure can finally facilitate rather than frustrate a smaller world via augmented reality, virtual reality and holoportation. What I'm seeing here is there's two elements to the piece that you sent me. Number one, it was happening anyway before COVID-19, the globalization of services, in other words. But what we're seeing now is COVID-19 almost polarizing the trend that was already there. Would you say that's the case, Sahil? It sort of hastened the process. Uh, yes. So you know, we, we had Zoom before the pandemic, but the catalyst for Zoom's takeoff occurred as more people realized they needed its services. But I think we go beyond, you know, some of the, the video apps uh, for consumers and corporates that people are already familiar with. And we look at some of the emerging technologies. I mean, many of our listeners will have, uh, I hope, played Pokemon Go, which was an example of augmented reality. Um, now, that was, a, that was for a game, but what we saw during the pandemic was people in medical universities, like Case Western, were teaching their students anatomy courses that weren't available physically using augmented um, and virtual reality programs that had originally often just been designed for training, but were now being used for sort of day-to-day um, activities as well. I think the most exciting thing is the advances that we've seen in what some companies are calling holoportation, which is effectively a more targeted form of virtual reality, where you've got somebody being videotaped with two cameras in one location and being beamed, a sort of physical likeness of him or her beamed into another uh, room in front of another person. Yes. And then being able to interact and communicate with each other. I mean, some of the demonstrations by Microsoft on this are, are pretty remarkable. And this isn't into the future. This is something that is actively being worked on. In fact, the technology to do it has now been able to be shrunk into a van, you know, a room the size of a van and only requires two cameras. So this is a sort of sign that we might be moving in that direction more quickly than anticipated. I saw an example of holoportation a couple of months ago on television on some technology programme, and there was a woman standing on stage in front of a live audience, but she wasn't there. She had been holoported, so it's quite extraordinary. um, Your piece goes on to say the following, and this is for you, Mark. Despite these changes, the current workplace has been slow to imagine a different reality. COVID-19, however, has suddenly shown what is possible in terms of remote work. The number of people working online is now 10 to 30% higher than those who imagined they could two years ago. I'd say it's maybe more than that. But anyway, by working remotely, space becomes compressed and borders fade. Now, you go on to make three other points. The countries with the weakest labour market arrangements would warrant a higher risk premium. What do you mean by that, Mark? So basically, if if we just take a step back, when we're looking at this, what, what we first see is that there was a cultural challenge, essentially. Part of the reason why more people weren't working remotely is because it isn't something we're used to. COVID then provides the opportunity. That means, and as we mentioned in the paper, we see the opportunity first for some type of local remote working, which most of us are doing. And once that is embedded, um, infrastructure begins to improve, etc. You can then see a more a more global approach to, to this type of remote working. And we therefore tied it back to... Essentially, this globalization of, of services, whereby when you look at what happens in more manufacturing-based economies, so between, we quote, between 1999 and 2011, somewhere between 2.5 million U.S. jobs disappeared as a result of 
imports from China out of, to put that in perspective, about 14 and a bit million manufacturing jobs, about one in seven. So we saw this as, as an opportunity for migration of, of um, mirroring what happened on the manufacturing side, on the services side. Yeah, and, and just to add to what Mark's saying, um, you know, the services economy is now 70 to 80 percent of the output of advanced um, economies. And what we've seen is services inflation has been structurally higher than goods inflation, in part because it's been subject to less global competition. But obviously, if you have the globalization of services, just like you have the globalization of the goods trade, this puts pressure on the growth of services inflation. And what that means is effectively lower white collar wages. And so you, you get a kind of scrambling of country risk premium for the countries that struggle to adapt. Um, you know, in order to adapt, you're, we're going to need new uh, policies, new institutions, uh, sort of, I, I think probably the Nordics are, are uh, as usual ahead on, on labor market um, thinking, um, in which you have um, both flexible arrangements and security provided for, for the workers. It's very interesting you said that. The second point, sorry, the second point I'm just about to bring up is you say there is likely to be downward pressure in major urban centres as the premium of being in central locations is somewhat eroded. There's just been a real estate survey which was covered on a major US television network and the real estate agent said we're having such a surge in interest in the last few weeks, it's going to be a record month for sales or at least um, people intending to buy. And they said that... it's not in the in the urban the, the central urban areas there where the demand is. It's outside and also places with bigger spaces. In other words, somewhere where an office can be installed. Mark, I mean, what, what do you what do you think? Is is that just a, a once off, or is that something that's likely to continue? Uh, we believe that that is something to continue. And indeed, when you look at what we suggest in the paper in terms of commercial real estate, and by that we meant real estate primarily in in urban centres. We see much less demand, and the natural consequence of that, people having realized they can work remotely, are going to focus on, number one, the amenities around them, number two, making sure that um, they can structure a work environment which is, which is more comfortable with, with all the implications that has. We, we did some rough back-of-the-envelope calculations, and we suggested that around $2 billion per annum was at risk in terms of rental from new arrangements in terms of of urban centres, and clearly that demand is going to move um, outside of the urban centres into more residential areas. I, I do think it is important to note because we had quite quite a degree of comeback from people saying, well, hang on a second, are you calling for the total end of working arrangements as we know them? And I don't think either Sahil or I is. We think that what is happening is that working arrangements are going to change. People are not going to be bound to office work five days a week anymore. Rather, there will be much more flexibility, which means that offices, while there will be some demand in urban centres, will have much less demand um, than they currently have. Goodness me, the prospects are manifold here. The companies, you say, that become the backbone of this new digital economy, the commercial platforms, the data platforms and the technical tools will deserve a premium. The trick now, Sahil, of course, is to identify which ones they are. Some of them may be sort of putting their hand up at the moment. Yeah, I I think... Advanced economies have for years been on the cusp of adopting a number of new technologies in cloud computing, enterprise software, 5G-enabled devices, cybersecurity, and so on. You know, some countries are much further behind in adoption rates than others. Uh, you know, for example, according to the OECD, OECD data we have, Finland has 10 times more cloud computing firm penetration than South Korea. 
which is quite su- surprising. I think what we have to see is some of the vendor surveys that we're, you know, at the company level, you have to look at the vendor surveys and see what companies are saying they're, they're about to acquire. I mean, you know, Mark is more familiar with this, with his knowledge of, of enterprise technology. So I'm, I'm sure he, wonder if he has something to say about it. Over to you, Mark. No, I, I think that's exactly it. You, you've covered it. And I think what's happening is this virtualization of technology, the availability of cloud computing um, enables this transition to happen. What is interesting that we haven't touched on so much is the, the need for infrastructure in countries to catch up to enable people. I think all of us have experienced that wonderful um, meeting moment when you dial on somebody's lacking um, audio or video capability because it's simply not enough bandwidth. Yes. Um, and I think what happens there is, I, I'm not yet sure whether it's a public-private partnership, it's, it's, it's national requirements, um, commercial firms will follow that. But there, there's a need for that infrastructure to update. And as soon as that happens, it, it once again creates the opportunity for firms to globalize their service offerings. Once, once, once infrastructure is strong enough, from our perspective, I don't understand why you would go from London to Cambridge when you when you could just as easily go from London to Johannesburg. Mm. It's a very yeah, good point. Uh, no, sorry, so and, he'll, and, carry on, please. So Sorry, Lindsay, if I, if I may just add. I mean, if you put all the, the investment implications that we're talking about, right, we've got disruption to the labor market, we've got pressure on commercial real estate, and we've got sort of the rise of digital stalwarts and the backbone of the digital economy. I, mean, I think you can tell a, a, an optimistic story and a pessimistic story. The optimistic story that I think you know we choose to focus on is that this globalization of services is actually a fulfillment of the early promise of globalization, right? which was to relax resource constraints around the world. I think along the way over the last few decades, that optimism has vanished because economic resources have been increasingly concentrated in cities and large companies. You've had high real estate prices. You've had more concern about inequality. You've had greater underemployment, homelessness, and so on. And potentially, the changes that we're seeing will start to unwind some of the the impact of that concentration that we've seen over the last few decades. You conclude with a sentence which is tantalising. It says the following, put all this together, you say, and it amounts to a major socio-technological paradigm shift Though we may still be somewhere away from being able to work remotely from idyllic beaches, within a decade, our current world of work could look unrecognisable. So what you're saying is, just to summarise, it's been slowly going that way for maybe a couple of years, maybe even even longer, but suddenly it's been concentrated, as I said before, by COVID-19. Mark, it's an unstoppable process, is it not? Yes, I think that's true of all human advancements, and I agree with Sahil. He's a very optimistic spin to put on this as well. But that's why we chose that wonderful quote from Ernst Hemingway. Uh, unfortunately, it's in the context of bankruptcy, but that idea that things happen at first gradually and then suddenly, mm. I think, captures this, this so perfectly. We saw this gradual trend. Um, this telecommuting trend has, has existed for the last decade, but, but it was very limited in terms of both industry sector and individuals who were doing it. Typically, also in terms of where on the employment hierarchy they sat typically limited to very, very specific roles and very specific seniorities. And all of a sudden, we realized that, that that's not necessarily required. It, it can be much more general, much more democratic. And I think that that's a wonderful thing for all of us. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. That's Mark Abrahams and Sahil Matani, both from 91.